Hi everyone, I'm Laura Langhoff Arndt and this is episode 8 of To Pause to Learn Effective Teaching in the Church. This podcast is for those who want to talk about what it means to teach the faith effectively to people of all ages. We cover issues from teaching Sunday school to those little wee ones who are so adorable in preschool, all the way to those feisty teenagers. We'll talk about teaching confirmation and how to develop a culture of participation in adult Bible study. If you think you're not a good teacher, you'll love this podcast. If you think you're already a good teacher, you'll love this podcast because it'll make you even better. And we all know that good teachers are always looking to be better. As promised, today we'll be talking about children's messages for the narrative stage of faith education. First, a quick reminder of the five stages of faith education. Narrative, preschool through second grade. Knowledge, third through fifth grade. Understanding, sixth through eighth grade. Reason, nine through twelfth grade. And wisdom, everything after school. So welcome, and let's get started. The tip of the day today is... There are a lot of options besides object lessons. Hmm, I wonder what that means. We're going to find out. Question one, what are children's messages and what is their purpose? The children's message is, basically, an attempt to make church more relevant to young kids who have a hard time participating in the service and understanding the sermon. It can be a long time for them to be quiet and a challenge to keep them as still but busy as possible. We do want them to be in worship, to hear the word of God. Even if they don't seem to get it, the spirit can still use it to create and grow faith. And we want them to learn the process and traditions of worship. We also want them to feel a part of the church family and not separate families. Worship is a family event. So, children's messages help children be a part of worship. Now, before crafting a children's message, a few questions should be considered. First, what is their purpose? I know what I just said, but what is the purpose of your children's message, the one that you're trying to teach or going to give? What is the purpose of that message? Hopefully, It's to leave the little ones with a nugget of God's truth and a reminder that they are greatly loved by God unconditionally. The next question, to whom is the message addressed? And that depends on the answer to the first question. Here's why. Some people haven't really thought about it, but their children's message is more for the adults than the kids. And sometimes they don't even know it. I'll talk about that in a bit. The last question to be considered is, what are the ages of the kids who come up for the children's message at your church? If you've listened to some of the other podcasts, you know how important it is to understand what young children understand. This brings us to question two, which is, think about the age group of those in your congregation who come up for the messages. What do you know about them? Typically, children's messages are for kids in preschool through second grade. Ironically, that's the narrative stage. But sometimes parents will bring up their younger children 
and sometimes a few older kids will come up too. It's okay to include third graders and even fourth graders. But then the question becomes, on which age do you focus the message? A lot happens in the body and the world of a child between preschool and fourth grade. They're very different. So what do you do? Do you focus on the older kids or the youngers? If you focus on the older kids, the youngers will get little from it. But if you focus on the youngers, the older kids will still get something from it. Obviously, I recommend focusing on the youngers. Well, what difference does that make? I hear people quietly asking themselves as they're listening. Actually, it makes quite a big difference. When you think about the kids and what those in the narrative stage understand, the biggest one is concrete thinking and the ability to transfer one idea to another. Here's an example. At one church, there was one lady who always gave the children's message on Christmas Day. Oh, the people raved about it. And every year, she would pull this elaborate Rube Goldberg type of toy into the sanctuary, and the children just oohed and odd over it, and everybody was curious. And, and she would go right up to the front of the church and put a marble in it, and it would go through all of these tubes and drops and loops and spins as it made its way to the bottom. She would then talk to the children about life's challenges and how Jesus was born to save us from our sins and help us through life challenges. Well, my question was, what does a kindergartner know about life's challenges? They don't think of life as easy or hard. They really don't think about life at all. They just live it. And how does a preschooler connect that cool toy to the challenges of life or to their life at all? They can't. For the younger kids, the children's message was all about watching the cool toy and had nothing to do with Jesus. Here's another one. I've seen people try to explain the Trinity with an apple, a hardened sinful heart with a Tootsie Pop, and the Holy Spirit with a balloon to children who cannot transfer the object, no matter how clever or obvious it seems to an adult, to a concept that they can't even understand. One more example. One Sunday, the sermon was called Rejected. It was based on Luke 4, specifically the verse where it says, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. So the person giving the children's message started telling the kids a story about how somebody got a letter of rejection from Harvard University. He even had an envelope that had a letter in it. And first of all, Children who are from three to seven or eight years old have absolutely no understanding of rejection, and it would be a challenge to explain it to them as they have no experience with it. Second, they have no idea what Harvard University or a letter of rejection is. He might as well have been speaking to them in Chinese. He asked questions they couldn't possibly answer and finally let them go. The truth is that the majority of children's object lessons aren't for the kids if the kids are under 8 or even under 10 or 12 years old. The young kids who come up to the front of the church for your object lesson, they don't have the ability to connect the object 
to your intended concept. Again, that's transference and the ability to transfer a quality from an object to a religious concept that they can't really understand. Well, that's a higher order thinking skill and their young brains simply can't get it. So the first step in a good children's message is to actually know the children. I call the early years of faith education the narrative stage because of how influential they are in a child's learning experience. Stories, narratives, we all learn through experience that connects to previous experiences, but a child's experience is limited and we use books and stories to explain those things. You know, these little lambs have little ability to think in terms of general principles. They don't think in terms of forgiveness and goodness or kindness. Uh, when somebody is a bully, they don't, they don't understand that concept. They know when they have their feelings hurt, but they don't understand the concept. Number two, they have little ability to think about non-physical entities like God or heaven. They haven't seen or experienced any of those things. So to them, God the Father is a really big dad. Heaven is an actual place like the library or a big park, but apparently it's in the sky sitting on some clouds. Kids this age also have little ability to understand symbolic meaning. Visual symbols don't initially have symbolic meaning. Children have to be taught that the cross has a meaning as a symbol so that every time they see the cross, they have an understanding of what that means. That doesn't come naturally. They also cannot relate one fact to another. For example, the heart being like the inside of a Tootsie Pop that was hardened on the outside by sin? No way. They also cannot make generalizations like what happens to a Sunday school class when the word of God is shared. If they can't see it happen, super no way. Number six is that they classify Bible stories as any other stories. There are none more or less important. Jonah and Pinocchio were both swallowed by whales or a big fish. So they're kind of on the same level of truth or make-believe. They start coming out of this, though, at about the second grade. Primarily, these kids perceive miracles in the same way as magic in fairy tales. And the way movies and TV are these days, it's, it happens more often than not. But they can't understand them as real or fantasy. Again, they'll start coming out of this in second grade, but some of that is a bit of a gray area for them when they're in preschool and kindergarten. Also, they determine the difference between real and make-believe better as they get older. But that's different than taking something that sounds like it can't be real, like coming back from the dead, and assuming it's real. Of course, they don't really understand death because it looks like sleep. When my son-in-law died, his young son kept asking when daddy was coming home. They had had the funeral. His mom had talked to him about it. But he just saw his dad laying there and thought that he would wake up and come home. He just couldn't understand death. Finally, kids this age do not understand metaphors. Their literal thinking would have them believe the Holy Spirit is a dove 
and that if you talk about a hardened heart, that it actually gets hard like a rock. Um, if Jesus lives in your heart, they most likely picture a tiny room that he sits in, which is shaped like, you know, a Valentine heart. Or that when we use the term stiff-necked people, they're people who actually have stiff necks and should maybe go see the doctor. And that leads us to question three. If object lessons don't work, where do you start? First of all, we're going to remember the brain rules for memory. They are the same at every age and they will come in very handy. Next, we will remember that children's lives are much simpler than ours. Thank God. They have, but they don't understand complex emotions. They primarily recognize happy, sad, and angry or mad, depending on the term that's used in their house most often. Their emotions may be complicated, but their ability to define them or talk about them is very simple. Also, the vocabulary that you use is important. Be very careful about using theological language that they don't understand. And be aware of the good and bad behavior language. Jesus doesn't love them because they're good. And when we attach God's love to behavior, because they hear this in school and often at home, when we attach God's love to behavior, kids really hear that. Young children also, they just love stories. And they learn from them. So use stories. Use stories. And that leads us to question four. What actually works? Our greatest desire is for children to know that God loves them more than they can imagine. And after that, to become familiar with him and his people, of which they are one. We want them to know that they are part of a family of believers. People who care about them. We do not need to try and explain life to them. They will experience it as they grow. We do not need to find clever ways to try and explain things that they naturally cannot understand. What we can do is tell them that God is so amazing and cool that there are mysteries that only he knows. The Trinity is three people, but one person. People keep trying to explain this to these young kids. But three people in one person, how can that be? There is no possible way to explain it. We can't even explain it to adults. So how can we explain it to these young concrete thinkers? Don't tell them that it's an apple because there are three parts. Oh, there's seeds and there's fruit and there's skin. This is not a good way to explain the Trinity. They can't imagine that, and it's not really true. The Trinity is not three different parts that make up a whole. It or they are three and one at the same time, always. It's a mystery. Let it be a mystery. Just explain that there are things that we don't understand because God is just way too amazing for us to get it. When you're creating a children's message, before you look for cute or clever ideas, decide on your goal. When they walk back to their families, what do you want them to be believing? 
There's a form that I use to put it all together for all of my children's messages, and I put that on my website. I'll mention that at the end of this podcast. Let's go back to the message about a prophet not being welcome in his own hometown. Now, if the pastor's message is about Jesus going back to Nazareth and being unwelcome, you could briefly tell the story and use pictures on the screen. If you don't have a screen, you can print the pictures and hold them up, and you can find some pictures online or use a good children's Bible. Um, but you got to understand that little kids don't know what it means to be rejected or to go somewhere and be unwelcome. They certainly don't understand the concept of a prophet being rejected in his hometown and what that's all about. So what is your goal? What out of that story can they understand? Well, I have an idea. What the pastor talks about won't necessarily be what the children's message can be about. Sometimes we have to flip it over. So here's what I would do. I would tell a story about the other side of that story. For example, in the gospel lesson today, we heard the story of when Jesus went home to Nazareth to visit. He was a little boy there and grew up in the same way you're growing up here. He lived there and played with friends there. He was Jesus, the carpenter's son. And if you can't remember, carpenters build things. Nobody knew he was God's son except Mary and Joseph and him. So when he came back as a prophet, who is a guy who delivers messages from God, the people didn't believe him. They said things like, A prophet? You're Mary and Joseph's son. You're a carpenter, not a prophet. When did you get so smart? Or, why should we listen to you? You're just Joseph and Mary's little boy. So do you think Jesus stopped loving them when they were mean like that and didn't believe him? No, he didn't. If you were there, what would you want to tell them? What would you want to say to these people? I would say this. I want you to repeat it after me. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Even when we're mean or don't believe. You see how that has a little rhythm? Say it with me. Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves me. Even when we're mean or don't believe. Again. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me even when we're mean or don't believe. Then, teach it to the congregation. You know, that's the thing with Jesus. He loves us no matter what. Always. There are a lot of options for children's messages besides object lessons. Most of the good ones involve the congregation. To illustrate that a message is more important than who gives it, one presenter I know had a few children read something simple written for them, and then those little ones who couldn't read were taught by the readers to repeat it, so they learned it. And then after that, since they knew it, the little ones taught the congregation to repeat it, and everyone knew it. That was a great experience. There was also a director of Christian education at my church 
that used the congregation to tell the story of Jesus calming the storm in a very clever way. He had the congregation be the storm and the kids be Jesus. So the congregation made storm noises and they waved their arms like waves. And the children were just hanging on while this storm grew and grew. They walked down the aisle and as the people had their arms, they started small and they got bigger and bigger and bigger until the kids shouted, stop. And the storm died down as the people stopped. They did it a couple of times. And the lesson, of course, was that Jesus has power over nature. I bet people remembered that for a while. There are also other options, too. For example, you could tell stories that are close to the emotions of the children. Make sure when you read a story to kids who are young that they are close to the emotions of the child or the children. Stories that use human characteristics like loving and sharing and caring, they're excellent at this age. Um, you can use poems, riddles, and songs. Putting scripture to a rhythm and a song helps kids remember it. But they need to be short, so break a verse down into a memorable phrase and have them repeat it multiple times throughout your message. You can learn more about this in the last podcast about the echoes. Don't forget, you can bring with you up into the front of the church props, pictures, use different voices, have puppets tell the story, or even volunteer actors. You can also make the message about a picture of a story by showing it on the big screen and having kids answer questions about that picture. Sort of a what's happening in this picture kind of a thing. And finally, you can add move it, movement to a story that you're telling. What if you taught them the stories of the Old Testament with hand motions? Now, I've seen this and I really want to try it. The first one would be creation, and that might be using your arms to make a large circle above the head. God creates the world. The second would be the fall, and that motion could be two hands making making a breaking motion, like you have a stick in your hand and you're breaking it. So that could be a breaking motion. Now, there's not a motion for every story in the Bible, but that would get really long to do every one. But if chosen wisely, and taught, and if you taught one a week, by the end of the year, the kids and the congregation would be able to tell the old whole testament by either thinking about or doing the hand motion. What a cool thing would that be? You know, if you did it in a way that well, last week we learned about creation, and you do the creation symbol. And the next week, when we add one to it, we continue to do the one before. We started with creation. God created the world. Then we did the fall into sin, and we do the breaking motion. And the next one is maybe God chose Abraham, and we do the stars. Or... If we add Cain kills Abel and we do the sad face or another motion that you guys make up, I don't know. If when you add one a week, do the ones previous and by the end, oh, 
What a cool thing that would be. Totally going to do it. Well, I bet you've got all kinds of ideas running through your head now. Your creativity is really flowing. That's all we've got for today, my friends. Next time, we're moving on to the knowledge stage, which is third through fifth grade. Things are getting interesting. Now, don't forget, if you've got a question or a curiosity you'd like to have answered or talked about, you can contact me and we'll talk about it here. Whatever it is, if you've got a question, I've most likely got an answer. You can submit questions using the form at carpentersministrytoolbox.com or you can find me or Carpenters Ministry Toolbox on Facebook or on the Anchor podcast page. I've added a widget that'll let you leave a message. Give it a try. You can also find my books, The Art of Teaching the Faith, which is what this podcast is based on. The Art of Teaching Confirmation, there's a book and a teacher's resource book and others on Amazon. There's also a student workbook available for the Teaching Confirmation resources, and that's on my website. It's a PDF file. Until the next time, my friends, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118, 24. See you next time.